Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the weekly science and development show from SciDevNet. I'm Ogechi Kianyo. Today we look at one of the most difficult and painful issues in mental health in Africa, suicide. My name is Phyllis Mwate and I lost a friend recently from suicide and uh, the news was very shocking because I had seen this person four days prior to that happening and this person was in good spirits just walking around you know saying hi cracking jokes as usual and so when the news came first of the death I thought oh maybe like something happened and they got sick and they were rushed to hospital but then news came out later that it was suicide and that was very sad and believable you ask yourself so many questions what if what if what if after a few hours then i felt frustrated because I was like, but this person was here, this person was smiling, this person was talking. Were they thinking about it? So it was really a roller coaster of emotions, frustration. Also, I would say anger. Anger to this person and also anger to myself because I would ask myself, maybe I should have spent two or three more minutes talking to this person instead of just saying hi and cracking a joke and passing by. But when it's suicide, so many questions are left unanswered. So it's really a tough thing for everyone. Suicide is worryingly common in Africa. According to the World Health Organization, six of the ten countries with the highest incidence of suicide are in Africa. Around 11 people per 100,000 each year die by suicide in the African region. This is higher than the global average of nine per 100,000 people. To find out the reasons for the high number of suicides, our reporter Michael Kaluki went to see Dr. Florence Bangana, the Africa Regional Advisor on Mental, Neurological and Substance Abuse for the World Health Organization. She talks about the risk factors, including poverty, that predispose Africans to suicide. The reasons could be very many, including poverty, we have high rates of poverty in the region, as you know, but we also know that we are not taking any preventive or very limited preventive measures. The different things we could do to limit suicide, to identify who is most at risk, to design programs, to provide support to those who may be thinking of suicide, you know, so we don't really have preventive programs. But I would say issues around socioeconomic poverty, relationship problems, young people failing exams, and there's a lot of pressure on them. There's also young people who complete university and a lot of money has been put into them, but then they can't find a job. And so they feel they are a disappointment to their families. There are all kinds of challenges people face. The other important issue, of course, is underlying mental health conditions. But we don't need to say that every single suicide is caused by an underlying mental health condition, no. Okay, Dr. Bangada, people have been living with some of these issues for a long time on the continent. Do you think perhaps these high rates may have something to do with uh, the breakup of the social fabric amongst communities on the continent? 
It could be, but it could also be that uh, suicide was actually taking place, but we do have a lot of taboo around suicide, and therefore we have not been measuring it accurately. It could be that now people are beginning to talk about it more, and therefore it appears that it is going up. The other important thing to note is that in 2000, the highest rates of suicide were in Europe. They have put in place the interventions to prevent suicide. Whereas in the African region, I think that investment has not been made. Could you tell me about the campaign that has been launched by the World Health Organization to raise awareness about suicide prevention in Africa? Yes, we are going to launch a social media campaign. In the African region, one of the biggest issues that we face is taboos, discrimination. People tend to hide. When somebody dies by suicide, it is not something that we talk about very easily. This campaign is supposed to raise the issue so that people are more comfortable talking about it. We also hope to raise awareness about how do you recognize somebody who may not be happy or who may be considering suicide. Then maybe family members or friends may know that they need to either pay more attention to the individual, spend time with them, take them to a mental health care provider so they can get help. Much more needs to be done on prevention, especially among young people. We noticed also healthcare workers are more at risk, maybe because of the increased stress from COVID. And so we would need to design the programs that um, prevent suicide among the populations at increased risk. Could you maybe expand a little bit, Doctor, about how this campaign will work on social media? We were working together with the comms team and came up with the key messages. And the comms team is going to be working to put up a microsite where people can go and there will be information they can read. There will be social media cards. We may decide to do videos, people talking about a relative who may have died by suicide or somebody who may have attempted and maybe they didn't succeed talking about their own experience. Doctor, you had indicated there that uh, there is the issue of uh, taboo, which is a challenge when trying to create awareness. How do you plan to pass on your message despite these taboos linked to suicide? Definitely, there's a very big taboo around suicide. But as you can recall, there was a time people were not willing even to talk about cancers as one example, or even to talk about being HIV positive. In the same way, we hope to overcome this reluctance and the taboos that surround suicide by putting it out in the light, getting it out of the shadows. What perhaps can be done? Because if someone maybe in a village has a mental issue and they go to their local clinic, they may not be able to access a mental health worker. What do you think perhaps governments or world agencies need to do to help mental health in communities around the continent? This past August, the member states endorsed the framework to implement the comprehensive 
mental health action plan in the African region. So this was really excellent news because the member states committed to strengthen mental health services in the African region. The challenge is always financing, of course, but we do have the tools the member states have committed. So I think what we need to do now is to mobilize the resources to ensure that we can actually do the work that needs to be done to train healthcare workers at the lowest level so that they can recognize and manage people with common mental health problems. About 30% of people who present at the outpatient department have some kind of common mental disorder and the healthcare workers should be able to recognize those conditions and treat them just like they manage malaria or diarrhea or cough, you know. So that is what we hope for and that is what we aim for. So I'm here with Dr. Gladys Mwiti. She's the founder and CEO of Oasis Africa. Dr. Mwiti is also a consulting clinical psychologist and trauma specialist. Dr. Mwiti, could you perhaps tell me a little bit about what you do at Oasis Africa? What we do is train the therapist and supervise them to offer top-notch professional counseling and psychotherapy to those that come to see us. So we have people coming in, but also we have a very strong presence with the corporate organizations. We go out and train people in mental health, train people in stress management, and the prevention of uh, mental health challenges that would lead to things like suicide. What are some of the factors and elements you consider to equip these therapists to deal with people who are in mental distress and thinking of suicide? One of the big things we train them and we expect them to know is how do you understand what the issues are? For example, if someone walks in and they don't tell you they are suicidal, How does it end up for you to know that they are suicidal? Listening to the story of the person, what brings you here? What are major things that have happened in your life that caused you to come here today? And then you go ahead and you lead them towards the steps that will help you to do a diagnosis. And this is just an initial diagnosis because as you get to know the person more, then actually you may realize that Two, three sessions down the line, they have got issues in their past that they didn't talk about as soon as they came in. And that helps you to modify your diagnosis. We train them to do a treatment plan. And then you train them on how, especially for suicide, it's very, very important to develop a very close, trusting relationship with a client. And then we also train our therapists to find out, is there any medical condition that is driving the suicidality? Because if there's a medical condition, then you want them to actually see a doctor after they leave you and bring you a medical report. So you do not have someone with a tumor in the brain who is suicidal and you don't know. Suicidal clients should not leave the therapy room before they sign a contract that they're not going to hurt themselves. We train them also to look for risk factors. What are the risk factors this client is living with? For example, if they want them to hurt themselves using a substance, have they purchased the substance? If they want them to shoot themselves in the head, do they have availability of a gun? So how safe is their environment? And then we train them also to find out what are the social supports this person has? 
how accessible is that grandma who, when I talk to, I think less of hurting myself. So building social support. And finally, we look at matters of faith because those are very important, especially in Africa. Dr. Muti, in regards to Kenya, what would you say is the situation in regards to suicide? Let me say that I have a lot of concern on the mental health in this country and actually for Africa as a whole. Development in Africa consistently has left out mental health. Take, for example, the orphan generation of HIV and AIDS seasons of 1995 and whatever. How many people that are living today lost one parent, two parents, siblings, relatives, and no one ever helped them to deal with death and with the grief and the loss? How many people went through the HIV and the AIDS period also suffered from post-election violence? Who has ever helped them when their houses were burnt down? In Kenya, we have had one trauma after another, after another. And that's a huge driving factor for suicide. Because what is suicide? Suicide, you can just use one word and call it hopelessness. Put on top of that poverty. And then the fact that our government, sorry to say, it's like any other African government, have not taken mental health seriously. When it comes to aid development people, how many of them include mental health? Hardly any. And I have a lot, I don't want to say anger, but frustration. When I realize that someone is funding development in Africa, but they don't realize that mental health is part of the wealth they are trying to create in our nations. So those are some of the factors for Kenya. And I think we better wake up to the reality that we're in a crisis, no different from other nations, but we are in a crisis and mental health is critical. We are not doing too well. Dr. Gladys Muiti of Oasis Africa, ending Africa Science Focus for today. Today's show was produced by Martin Redfern with reporting by Michael Kaloki and editing and hosting by me, Ogechi Ekianyo. Until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is produced by SideVNet and distributed in association with your local radio station.